Well, friends, we are, I am actually going to preach a message um, on fatherhood this morning. Uh, earlier in the year, we did a series called Sanctifying the Ordinary, which means um, how to set it apart as holy, how to take the ordinary things of life, and nothing is more ubiquitous than fatherhood because everyone came into the world has a father. How do you take the ordinary thing of fatherhood and use it for God? How does God want us to be fathers? How do we be holy fathers. Uh, and I've got a few resources for any fathers in the room. I've got an article by Bob Coughlin, which I'll reference later. You can pick that up afterwards if you'd like. I've also got a, a number of books that I wanted to put your way. There's, um, and if you'd like these, they're $10. There you go. And read it with someone. That would be even better. Disciplines of a Godly Man by R. Ken Hughes, a classic. A book I read just this week it was really, really good by an Australian guy, Tony Payne, called Fatherhood. A book on how to basically see yourself as the pastor of your family, um, The Shepherd Leader by Timothy Whitmer, um, which is also very good. And Point Man, which is the classic book on how to be a man by an American guy called Steve Farrer. There's those. And then there's a daily devotional. What better way to serve your families than to read the word every day and be encouraged by another man? So that's daily strength. You can buy that. And then there's Parenting by Paul Tripp, um, which is a wonderful not super practical, but gets to the principles of parenting. So I commend those resources to you men. And probably the best way to do it is to read it with another guy, read it with another father and just spur each other on in it. So how do we be a dad for God? Not have a dad bod, but a dad for God. <laughs> I think typically, stereotypically, uh, men seem to have these kind of visions of what they want to create in their life and get done. Uh, for me, one of my visions is to take, you know, a seven or eight pound beef brisket and smoke it for 14 hours. And I have this vision of just this hunking, huge piece of beef, which is turned to butter and it's got this black charcoal on it. And that's one of the visions I have that I want to do. It's expensive, but I want to pull it off. Maybe if you're a bit more practical minded, you might have a vision of creating like the ultimate man cave. You want to build a structurally sound shed out the back where every tool has its place and it also has a pool table and a TV and it's the ultimate man cave and you can picture it, you want to make it happen. Or perhaps you want to have, you know, your vision for your life is financial security and you're just always thinking, how can I be wealthy and prosperous and hand on wealth to my future generations and have a balanced you know, portfolio with passive income and these things. And so you imagine what it would be like to have financial security. And so you start working towards it in the present. To see any of those kind of visions that we want as dudes to come into reality, we know that actually it'll always just stay a dream unless we meet that vision with a lot of hard work and a lot of study. You can't just become good at building a shed out the back, you know, if you don't know anything like I do right now. If I wanted to do that, I would have to do a lot of study, uh, have a lot of hard work to make it happen. And it's often the, the cost and the study is what stops those dreams turning into reality. But when we have that vision firmly planted in our mind of that brisket or that wealth portfolio or that man cave, that can help us to overcome the challenges overcome the, the burden and the struggle. And I believe it's the same with fatherhood. Uh, fatherhood can just feel so normal, so messy, so everyday, so minute, so tiring. 
uh, so many failures involved with it, that unless as fathers we have a vision, a dream of what we're hoping under God to see take place, we'll just give up or give in or just go with the flow each and every day. Dads, I want you to think for a minute. What is the vision you have for your family, whether you're at the late stage of being a father or just at the very beginning? Think 2050 around the Christmas table. What do you want to see there? What's your hopes? What type of character do you want to be around that table? The joy. What type of worship do you want around that table? What type of structure? How do you want it to look and to feel? Because without some kind of future vision of what you're hoping as a father, we'll go into the default mode, which for most of us at best is mediocrity, and on our bad days, mayhem. And my hope is today is that instead of just defaulting to the everyday, that we would lean into that hard work so that we can have that dream become a reality. And in order for us to get there, there's only one sure God. There's only one sure principle that will help us to be the fathers we want to be. And that's in God's word. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 is one of the only verses in the New Testament addressing fathers. In fact, there's not a whole lot in the New Testament about fathers, but this one verse is our verse, dads. But you might be thinking, oh no, oh no, a sermon on fatherhood. A, you might be like, I'm I'm a lady, Uh, this is not going to apply to me. Uh, Or I wish I was a father. Well, as a church family, we always need to know all the roles so that we can spur one another on in that particular role. So if you're not yet a father, this this sermon is still for you because you need to help the fathers in our church live up to what this passage says. But maybe you are a dad and you're more actually, you can think less of that, that dream just sounds like a fantasy and you're more aware of your failures and, and how, far fall, how far you fall short of being a father. And I get you. Uh, Tony Payne in that book, Fatherhood, says this. When I go to a men's convention or seminars on fatherhood and hear all this stirring stuff about authority and decision-making and being the strong leader that our family needs, I find that it sometimes has a curiously deadening effect. I nod and blankly acknowledge that it's all true but I feel quite sure that whatever the speaker is talking about, I'm almost certainly not doing it very well, if at all. I feel some guilt and a sense of frustration. Dad, this is not my hope for us this morning, that you would leave just feeling guilty and like a failure. Instead, I want to inspire you out of that deadening effect to be a thriving father for the glory of God. So let's turn now to Ephesians 6.4 with humble hearts ready to receive God's word for us this morning. I'll read verses 1 to 4 for context. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, 
This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let me pray. Our God and Father, I ask that you may bless the reading and the preaching and the applying of your holy word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I have two points for us this morning to help us grow in our fatherhood or to spur on those who are fathers that we know. Point number one, fatherhood addressed. Point number two, fatherhood applied. And one hope that the dads, that the fathers would embrace their God-given role to bring up their children in the Lord. So let's look at point number one, fatherhood addressed. As I said, this is really Ephesians 6.4 and, and Colossians 3.21, the two verses we have in the New Testament where we fathers are addressed by God. We are addressed by God. We are called out. We are spoken to. There's, there's no ambiguity. It's fathers. He's speaking to us. And all of this command comes out of the context of this letter from Paul to the Ephesians. He's, he's already told them of God's glorious plan of salvation, that he's bringing all things together in Christ through Jesus dying on the cross for our sins and that anyone who trusts in him is saved by grace and grace alone. So this isn't, you know, Paul saying, this is the way you become saved is by being a good father. No, he's saying, because you are saved, here's how you should live. And so he leans into the fathers after telling the husbands and the wives and the children what to do. He establishes, fathers, this is what you're meant to do. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I want to briefly speak on this verse before we get to point two and apply it. And I just want to teach on this so that we have a clear understanding of what a father is and what they're meant to do. And Paul says three things in this verse. You'll notice that there's a subject. He's addressing fathers. There's a negative command, do not provoke. And there's a positive command, do bring up. So let's look at those three in order. Firstly, fathers. We are addressed here by God. Though we bring, we all bring confusion into this room, into this role. The Bible is very clear on a few basic matters relating to fatherhood. They may seem crazy to you or our culture, offensive or even alien, but they are in fact very historical, very universal and very biblical. You see, when Paul addresses the fathers as opposed to fathers and mothers, he's following the pattern of all of Scripture, which clearly defines that the father is the centre of the family. We often think as mums as the centre of the family, the glue holding everything together. And, and a lot of times that's true, but actually, theologically speaking, the fathers are the centre of the family. Andreas Kostenberger says in his commentary, like the spokes of a wheel, family life radiated outward from the father at its centre. Children come, uh, the seed is sown by the father and children are the fruit 
of the womb. The fathers are given the position as heads of the home. The fathers are called to pass on the teachings of the Torah, the Old Testament, to their children. The fathers led the clans. The fathers were the kings. The fathers were the priests. It's the fathers, actually, that are at the center of the spiritual family. doesn't mean they're more important. doesn't mean they're better. It's not like they got there because they're stronger. It's just that God decided that the fathers would be the center. Uh, the, the swear word in our culture is this word patriarchy, which means patri is father, archy is rule, father, rule. And in some ways, the Bible is patriarchal, but you can't really use that word anymore because it only has negative connotations. But actually, if, another word you could use to describe it is patricentrism. Uh, fathers are the center. That the life and everything flows from the father to the community, to the world. Tony Payne says this, The idea of husbands and fathers having a central and authoritative role in the family has been decried, derided, and destroyed. And has the result been an explosion in family happiness, together, and harmony? Hardly. And perhaps that's something you've experienced in your life. Perhaps Father's Day is a hard day because either there was an absent father or a terrible father in your life. But if we submit to God's word and God's pattern, this is God's best for the world. That's why Paul addresses here the fathers. And as a result, the fathers are given the place, they're given the authority, and they're given the responsibility. It's the fathers that God will call upon. The failures in the home, well, it's our responsibility as dads. So there's a lot tied up just in that first word there, fathers. That's a crash course in in the whole biblical theology of of what it is. Secondly, he gives the fathers a negative command. Because fathers are the centre, because they have authority, because they have responsibility, Paul then wants to restrain them. He wants to make sure they don't use that authority and that responsibility and that position for themselves, for their own flesh, but for the good of others. Look at Ephesians 6.4 again. Fathers... You've got this role. Therefore, do not provoke your children to anger. Isn't that interesting? In this world, this Roman world where fathers were, in the, in the Roman world, were like the power. They had the authority to do anything. They could tell their wife to leave their baby at the doorstep of another house and abandon it. They could punish. They could even kill if they had the proper um, reasons. And so Paul wants to make sure that biblical fathers realize don't misuse your authority. And in one particular command he gives is do not provoke your children to anger, which is a spiritual gift of most dads. Most dads have an insane ability to just know how to provoke their children to anger. I don't know where it comes from. It's just, it's, it's a gift. Uh, I just know how to stir them up. I just know how to make them annoyed. Uh, and it's a terrible thing. It can break hearts, it can break their courage, it can break their identity. It's a sin that I actually constantly struggle with. It's one verse that Evie has memorized (laughs) because I find it particularly tempting as a dad. We were at netball, last netball training of the year for Evie's team and it it was parents versus kids 
And the dads, we were, there was only two of us dads there, but we were right into it and we were just giving it to the girls. You know, they, and the girls were getting so annoyed and that just obviously made us more provoking and more inflaming. And at the end of the game, the girls were so frustrated and angry. And then, you know, one of the dads said, this is my job. My job is to annoy you. <laughs> and they were like, oh, like this. And then I said, oh, I do, I do it too. And actually, there's a Bible verse which says, you know, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And Evie always uses that against me. And that dad just said, well, that's where the Bible's wrong. <laughs> and that was his instinct. But the Bible is very, very right here. You see, we can provoke our children, fathers, by our unreasonableness. We can be harsh and demanding when we don't need to be. We can provoke them to anger and despair through fault-finding, never being encouraging, only ever finding where they miss the 1% rather than celebrating the 99. We can provoke our children to anger as well by neglect, by not being there, by not being present, by being late, by, by constantly not turning up. And we can provoke them to anger through inconsistency. They're on edge because they don't know which dad is going to come home. So Paul wants to say, yes, fathers, you do have authority. I'm addressing you. This is your role. Children are meant to obey you. But he wants to limit that authority and restrain it so that we don't misuse it according to our own flesh. So what are we meant to do then? Thirdly, he gives a positive command. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Thirdly, bring them up. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That phrase there, bring them up, is a word which really means nurture them, nourish them, attend to your children like a sapling tree that needs roots and water and protection from pests and it can be bent and molded. And so your job as a dad is to nourish that tree, feed that tree, pay attention to that tree, make sure it's growing straight, make sure there's no pests. That's our role. That's the image, the positive image that fathers are meant to pay attention to. It's actually the same word that Paul uses to instruct husbands in how they're meant to use their role of authority and responsibility in the home to love their wife, and it's the same idea used for how Christ loves the church. Look, if you flick back to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28 to 29, it says this. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who lo loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it, excuse me, and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. So fathers, if you're looking for an example of how you're meant to parent, well, look at how Christ loves his bride, the church, how he nourishes her, how he feeds her, protects her, encourages her, gives gifts to her, loves her. That's how we're meant to be with our own children. Calvin, the great John Calvin, translated as, let them be fondly cherished, deal gently with them. So what does it look like to bring them up? Well, then Paul gives us two more words that sort of overlap in meaning. Look at the rest of the verse. Bring them up in the, what, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. They're both education-based words. The first word, the discipline, is the Greek word paideia, which really means like a whole-of-life education. 
not just make sure you know your times tables like Tiger Dad Richie, but whole of life, transferring knowledge and character and everything to your children, which Richard does do, but he is also Tiger Dad, uh, multiplication dad. Uh, it, It involves training and it involves punishment. That's that word, discipline. Secondly, the word there is instruction. Generally, that word means to correct, uh, to kind of not like force. It has a force to it, like an urging, like don't do this. You see that in the Proverbs. If you read Proverbs chapter 1 to 9, it's a father speaking to his son saying, oh, this is how I want you to live. Do this. Don't do that. Do this. Don't do that. Watch out for this. That's what we're called to do as fathers. A whole of life education, warning, correcting, training, and teaching. And he says, the last little bit there is of the Lord, in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That is, into Christ Jesus, in the way of Christ Jesus, ultimately leading them to their Lord. See, fathers, we have authority. We have responsibility. We have a role. But we have a role that's underneath Jesus Christ, who is your child's Lord. And our job is to bring our children to Him so that they would know Him and love Him. Now, what does it look like in practice to bring up our children, to train them in the way of the Lord? In one book I read, which I don't have here, called Family Discipleship by Matt Chandler, uh, they make a really great point about the difference, dads, and you'll know this as soon as I say, between telling and teaching. Telling and teaching. Mark Twain said, if teaching were the same as telling, we'd all be so smart we could hardly handle it. Telling is, how many times have I told you to do X, Y, or Z? How many times have you said that this week? Telling looks at information or commands that we we put to them. Telling asks, what should I say right now? Whereas teaching is a little bit different. Teaching is aiming for their actual understanding. So if we just tell Okay, I've done my job, I've communicated information. Whereas teaching is, but did they get it? Do they know it? Do they understand it for themselves? We're called to teach our children, not just tell them things. And so when we're teaching them, we ought to be thinking, do they understand what this Bible verse means? Do they understand this command that I'm giving them? I'm asking them to obey me. Do they understand what obedience means? I might need to teach them what obedience means. Oh, obedience means straight away without delay. Obedience means with a happy heart. I have to teach them what that means and not just expect them to know it. Fathers, we're called to train our children like we would if you, you know, imagine you got little baby Messi in your hands and you know the potential little baby Messi could become and you're like, well, I better train him and teach him. It's the same with your own children. So this is a crash course. In one verse, we have like a world of ideas, but three things that Paul tells you as fathers, fatherhood addressed. Number one, fathers. You are the centre of your family. But your job is not to make yourself the centre for glory or for your own comfort, but actually to use it to bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. To use your position of authority so that your children can come to their ultimate authority, Jesus Christ. Now, this this is good. You need to know this. But how do we do it in practice? That leads us to point number two, 
fatherhood applied? Because I can tell you these things, but unless we figure out how to understand it and what it looks like in practice, then it won't really help us. Tony Payne, in his book on fatherhood, has a chapter on fatherhood styles. And he said in general, and I think he's quite right, that there's two main styles of fathers. There's the captain. Think, uh, what's his name? Uh, Baron Von Trapp, um, if you know Sound of Music, which is really not a manly reference for Father's Day. But anyway, <laughs> Baron Von Trapp is, you know, all rules, all authority, all order. He has a whistle. When he blows it, the kids line up. They know the rules. They can say it. Boom. But he's distant. He won't get close to them. He won't cuddle them. Maybe you had a father like that. A lot of order, tight ship, but not a lot of closeness, intimacy, affection. The other end of the spectrum is nice guy dad. You know, it's, it's cuddle dad, it's no rules dad, it's you get home, your wife's tearing her hair out, and you're like, oh, it's fine, let's just play, and there's no rules. It's just, let's, I, I want to, you know, I just want to have fun with the kids. I just want to be there for them, which is a lovely idea, but, you know, he says, I thought it was really good, you have all the presence and authority of Mr. Bean. <laughs> Ow. <laughs> That's nice guy, dad. I wonder what's your style, dad? If you fit, if you defaulted either end, are you the captain or are you Mr. Bean? Obviously, we want to fit somewhere in between. We don't want to be all authority, no grace, or all grace and no authority. And whether you've had good examples or whether you think there are good examples here in this church to follow, ultimately, fathers, we have the ultimate example. We have God the Father. Fatherhood flows from God. We're fathers because God is a father. And we have him to look to for how we are meant to be fathers ourselves. Bob Coughlin says this in the article that you can pick up afterwards. He says, In our early years of parenting, I remember how often I thought the answer to any parenting problem was more rules. Unfortunately, that became a primary way I provoked my children. And it became especially obvious when I lost track of what rules I'd actually made. Never done that. A wiser way to avoid provoking our children is to consider what kind of father God is to us. In these years, far removed from the daily pressure of raising little ones, he's like you know, nearly 70, Julie and I have identified at least three ways God calls us to reflect his fatherly heart in the way we raise our children. And he goes on to give three A's of parenting. And he shared this with us as leadership teams across our two churches. And, you know, you hear a lot of ideas and advice and not everything sticks. But these three A's have stuck with me. And they're actually always on my mind. And I wanted to give them to us dads as three things that hopefully will stick with you so that when you get home from work or you're in the middle of a sports day or your children are older and you don't know what to do, you, maybe these three A's will come to mind and they'll just help you to apply what it means to be a father. So here they are, three A's for our application. Number one, attention. Attention. God pays attention to his children. Aren't you glad that God pays attention to you in your life in every moment. <laughs> Psalm 121 illustrates this so well. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. 
He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. In Psalm 33, 18, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. The Lord pays attention to his children. His eyes are on them. He doesn't sleep. And so, fathers, we're called to also copy that and to pay attention to our children. Yet how often do I struggle, and perhaps you as well, to actually give attention to our children? We can be, as Tony Payne says, present yet absent. Focused on our phone or on our hobby or on our activities or our podcasts or our worries and our kids are background noise. Again, another unique skill that I think fathers have is their ability to completely block out children. They just, I'm just doing something and all hell could be breaking loose. And I'm just thinking about washing up or just something. I've blocked out their noise, paying absolutely no attention to them. But actually, a unique opportunity we have to be like a heavenly father is to pay attention to our children, whether they're very young or whether they're very old. A good example of how much this means to our kids is recently at our school, we had a Father's Day, like, coffee and donuts and kick a ball with dad at Northmead Public. And it was great. I was looking forward to hanging out with the kids. Then I had this idea of like, oh, maybe I could be the one that serves the coffee to all the dads so that I can meet the dads and make these connections. And so I came up with this grand plan and I told the kids and, and they were like, oh, okay. And then I later on, my beautiful wife, Maddie, my helper, said, I think the kids were really disappointed that they didn't just get to hang out with you on Father's Day at school. And so I abandoned the coffee and Rebs did it all. Thank, thank you, Rebs. Uh, and I just spent the morning with my kids, paying them full attention as I beat them in basketball, which was really important. <laughs> now, kids don't need to be the center of your world, dads. That's an overcorrection. But they ought not to be in the peripheries either. So dads, how can you, like your heavenly father, give attention in a more focused way in order to make a genuine connection with your children, no matter how old they are? How can you pay greater attention to that little kid, or maybe they're a bit older, maybe you've got teen kids or even adult children. How can you pay attention to what's going on in their life? One practice which has really helped me, I stole from Dave Taylor, which I'm sure he stole from someone else, is to schedule it in. Once a month, I take out each one of my kids, apart from Zoe, I now started doing with Judah, for a breakfast date. We have father-son adventure or daddy-daughter date. And at least once a month, there's an unhurried, awesome time where we just hang out. And we do go get Maccas, we read a book, read a bit of the Bible, play some games on the phone. It's nothing grand, nothing special, but it's in the calendar. Once a week, we have family night. It's nothing special, nothing grand, but it's there. And when we skip it, the kids are so upset because they just want that time where it's, it's in. I'm paying attention to you. You don't have to do those things, but perhaps, Dad, you can think of ways that you, in your context, can give attention to your children. Secondly, the second A, so first one is attention. Second one is affection. Affection. Paul says, bring them up. That word has affection, gentleness, and tenderness built into it. 
And that's because that's what our God is like. Aren't you glad that God is affectionate? He's not cold or distant. Even in our sin, in the book of Hosea, it's a stunning poem about Israel's spiritual prostitution and how they've whored after other gods and and God is against them but for them at the same time. And listen to how he describes Israel, his firstborn son, his child. That's how he thinks of his people. It was I who taught Ephraim, another word for Israel, to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I'd healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yokes on their jaws. And I bent down to them and I fed them. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. Our God is an affectionate God. Maybe that doesn't accord with how you think of God, but this is who He is. His compassion burns within Him and overtakes His holy hatred of sin for His people. And as fathers, we're called to imitate God's fatherly affection and have affection for our children. John Newton, the man who wrote Amazing Grace, said this, I know that my father loved me, but he did not seem to wish me to see it. Fathers, do you regularly show heartfelt affection to your children, even and especially in their sin and rebellion? You see, what should in a gospel sense, provoke our affection is their sin. That's when we're most tempted to get angry. But actually, their sin should cause our deepest compassion. Because as they sin against us and they sin against God, we're thinking, oh no, here is a little child who will one day have to answer before God. They need the gospel. They need grace. They need encouragement. My heart burns for them. Fathers, do you have affection for your children and are you practically showing it? Not just in the fun times, but even in the discipline. One of my favourite all-time parenting lines is from Bishop J.C. Ryle in the 19th century in England. He says in his classic book, The Duties of Parents, which is very, very good and I highly recommend it, he says, Love should be the silver thread that runs through all your conduct, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, patience, forbearance, sympathy, a willingness to enter into childish troubles, a readiness to take part in childish joys. These are the cords by which a child will be led most easily. These are the clues you must follow if you would find the way to his Fathers, you will go a lot further in leading your children if you lead with affection and love than with a heavy hand of discipline and information and correction. So how can you 
visibly show this affection to your children. Wives, how can you be a great helper to your husband and help him to overcome probably our natural instinct, which is to be a bit distant or to be a bit hard or to be the disciplinarian and actually to show that tender affection that is there by God's grace. And perhaps if you don't have that affection, maybe you're feeling like, oh, I don't know, I feel so cold toward my kids. You can pray for God's grace to warm your heart so that you can be like your heavenly father. You don't have to create it. You can't make it happen. But you can ask for God's grace to help it happen. Finally, though, we do need another A because it, it can't just be all attention and affection. The third A is authority. Children need to know that someone else is in charge and that it is you. God ultimately is the authority. He tells us what to do and how to live. And our children must know that God has put us, fathers and mothers, in place over our children. It's not egalitarian. Our children do not rule the home. In a Christian home, fathers and mothers rule the home by God's word. And we don't fight to get our position there. We are given that position by God himself. And our children need to know that when they sin against dad or they sin against mom, they're sinning against God. And so if we don't take up our position of authority, we're limiting what our children can actually know about who God is and we're leading them actually into sin. Now, the A word, authority, is obviously a swear word. Um, and maybe to you it makes you cringe. But authority is a gift. It's God's grace to order and bring control and bring patterns and boundaries to the home. Someone will lead. Someone will rule. Who will it be? And how will you do it? There's another place, a, a, a final scripture for us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 to 12. Paul said that when he preached the gospel to the Thessalonians, he was like a nursing mother in verses 9. But then he turns to fathers and he says, and look at his kind of description of fatherly apostolic authority. For you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul's idea of a father was this, this, this coach, this encourager, this spurrer on. Like, we can do this. Let's live for Jesus. Let's give our lives away. Let's go. Let's, let's, let's get rid of these sins. Let's pursue the right way. So his authority, the way he exercises it, is not this, but it's more this encouragement, exhortation, because he has this goal. He has this vision of what he wants to see get done. Martin Luther, the reformer, said, kind of like a, 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 a not a misquote of a proverb, but a, a reworking of it. He said, spare the rod and spoil the child. That is true. But beside the rod, keep an apple to give him when he's done well. <laughs> and we must always remember that with our discipline and authority is that it's got to be always laced with heavy encouragement and reward. So friends, brother, fathers, Three A's to help you in your role as a father. Like God the Father, pay attention to your children. Have affection for your children. 
and be an authority to your children. And that will help you accomplish the vision which you want to see for your family. You know, if we want to have that beef brisket or that man cave or that financial portfolio, it's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take a lot of study. It's going to take a lot of devotion. And if we want to have that dinner table in 2050 with Christmas, with love and joy and worship and peace and order, it's not going to be perfect, of course, but if we want to see that kind of reality come to place, then we have to work hard. We have to devote ourselves to the task of fatherhood. Otherwise, we'll be consigned to mediocrity or mayhem. And so, brothers, I want to charge you finally again with Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, with those three things. Fathers, know your role. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And you can only do this by his grace. I'm a failure of a father. I fail every day. But I come back, and you must come back every day to the throne of grace. And if this feels overwhelming or impossible, make your prayers even more urgent, even more disciplined, even more consistent, so that God, by his grace and the help of your family and the help of your local church, we can live and take this vision into reality. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would help us to live this out. I ask, Lord, that you would help the fathers in the room, myself included, wherever we're at in our stage of parenting, to take up our role, to be like you as a father, to bring up our children in your discipline and instruction so that they know their Lord. May we pay attention. May we be affectionate. And may we exercise our authority. And most of all, as a whole church, we come to you, our Heavenly Father. And we thank you for the way that you took responsibility and that you paid attention. You had affection for us. And so you sent your Son to die in our place and for our sins so that you could win us back and adopt us as your very own children. May your love fill our hearts with gratitude and motivate us to be just like you for our homes. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.